So at least they have an excuse. <laughs> yes, yeah. As for the rest of us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arise Podcast. My name's Oliver Books. I'm the Director of Communications here at Christ United Methodist Church, and I am joined by... I'm Pastor Elizabeth McCauley, Lead Pastor here at Christ Church, and... And I'm Catherine Gardner, a member here at this church. Oh, but no small member. She <laughs> is the uh, social justice maven here at the church, Uh which may be a title I've never used for anyone in my life. <laughs> no, I, I like it. It was it was convener of some sort, and now it's become maven. So yeah, that's good. well, yep. you know, if okay. you can if you can wear it, wear it. All right. Um, anyway, Catherine is uh, convening a table of all the various outreach and justice ministries here at the church, and it's uh, an exciting kind of time for us because we all get to get together and talk to each other and find out how we can be praying for each other. But I think it's no small thing that Catherine has another life. What do you do in your other life? In my other life, I am a teacher of psychology and U.S. history at Century High School here in Rochester. And how many years have you been teaching? This will be my 30th year teaching. Oh, my. Yes, and 20 what? here in Rochester and or 21 in Rochester and 9 at a Catholic school in the cities. And why do you do this work? What calls you? Well, that's a good question. Um, originally, what called me was a passion for history, but not wanting to continue studying it. So I didn't want to go on and do research. I wanted to do something with it. And my college advisor said, well, do you like teenagers? And I said, well, not particularly. And he said, well, do you like them enough to teach them? And I said, yes, I could do that. So that's been the thing. And now, and I've taught political science and history and geography and psychology and they won't let me near economics but otherwise just about every one of the social sciences and have you come to like teenagers i adore teenagers Aha. yes and if i don't adore some of them they go away in the spring and we get a new crop in the fall so Whoa. that's really refreshing as well absolutely what is it about working with youth that gives you energy I think it's the unexpected hmm. and the and I think what I've come to learn over the years is to not have certain expectations because they're all what do they say if you've met one teenager you've met one teenager right I mean we say that about everything but just to not sort of think they're all going to act a certain way and everything's going to work for them a certain way right um and teaching itself is just a chance to be learning all the time. Like, you just have to be on your toes. Um, I taught government for a lot of years up until last year, and it was, it was uh, something to have to actually know what was going on in the government every single day. And do you have the uh, spiritual fortitude to keep doing that in uh, these days of turmoil? You know, in 2016-17, I was teaching the combination of government and psychology, <laughs> uh, which was, uh, it, it was too, it was actually too much. Like I was trying to keep up with things and I really did not have the fortitude, I don't think. Maybe now I could, cause I sort of feel like uh, the new abnormal I'm getting used to, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's troublesome. And how would you say, as far as um, when you work with youth in your classrooms, are they engaged? Are they intrigued? Are they, I suppose it's like any other place. You've got people who are eating up the headlines and trying to figure out what this means in their lives. 
uh, and others who aren't paying much attention. What, what do you find, and has that changed over the years as far as civic engagement? Maybe that's a better way of asking. You know, I don't know that it's actually changed. I feel like sometimes we think that it has. Oh, they have all the information at their fingertips, and they're either over-communicating or under-communicating or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, they're still like 15-year-olds regardless. Um, And they still come in with some ideas that you just think, where in the world did that come from and misperceptions about things. And I don't think it's – I think I feel a little bit now like they're more strongly – concerned about things that it used to be just sort of on the surface they'd be interested and and there's a core group of them that are that are pretty worried about the future the environment is a huge issue for some of the kids you know and that's where I love teenagers and I also want to sort of bonk them over the head because they'll sit there with their you know Starbucks cup um, just in a panic about social justice and the environment and and I'm just thinking Okay, well, we could start here. Let's talk about straws. (laughs) Yes, let's talk about straws and $6 Starbucks and whatever else it is that they're, and that's when you just say, yep, their frontal lobes are not fully developed. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, (laughs) as for the rest of us. Yes, exactly. Spectrum. Well, what intrigues me about your area of curiosity professionally and your being here in the middle of this church community, it seems like there's an intersection or a, what is it about coming to church that intrigues you as a psychology historian, human in the world of this day and age? How does church feed your soul? That's about five different questions in one. It is. Sorry, I just kept going because I want to know the answers to all those things. Wow, and I don't know that I've ever thought about that. You know, it's interesting. I started teaching because the only job I could find, um, I graduated, couldn't find a teaching job, did two years in the Peace Corps, came back and then wanted a teaching job and ended up teaching at a Catholic school. And I'm not Catholic and I had no connection there except that they wanted to hire me for two hours a day. That was my first gig too. Was teaching it? Teaching at a Catholic school. Really? What'd yeah, you teach? We'll talk about that. Seventh and eighth grade, self-contained classroom, all subjects. It was fascinating. I'll come back to that. Sorry, I interjected. But no, that's... Is that fun? Yes, fun. and a halo just sprung above your head yeah, when you well, said 7th and 8th grade. I lasted, uh, I lasted a year. I like 7th and 8th graders. Really? I love them. Oh, dear. Yes. Um, no, good for you. That's yeah. a good thing. Yes, it is. Uh, so, you know, I think that somehow teaching and religion have always been connected for me because of that first job. My first principal was a former nun. The head of the school was a Christian brother. Um, and so there was never sort of a disconnect with that like we we were always sort of having religion as part of the education field Mm -hmm. and so to me there's just so much about the social justice piece of us that's in both places like that the kids are learning to be good citizens and to treat each other well and to treat the world well and they're doing that in school, and then I come to church and find all the grown-ups that are working on the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of strikes the same chord, I think, with me. Um, I also really feel like teaching is a vocation for people. Yes. It's just, I, I mean, it's not for everybody, but I feel like, I don't know how you do your job if it's not. Um, and so I think that's kind of a commonality with those things as well. 
Yeah, I think we don't talk often enough about vocation as uh, I, I'm blanking on his name, which is a theme of these podcasts. <laughs> uh, but he talks about the fact that uh, it starts with a B, that much I can tell you, that uh, vocation is the place uh, where your passion and the hungers of the world intersect. And I love that. So to find that sweet spot where where those two things come together and teaching absolutely, I think, is a powerful form of of ministry. Uh, I was I just was saying that my first job was following graduation was in elementary education. Did the seventh and eighth grade thing. My principal, the principal that I worked with, her class or her office was like right next to my classroom, so we shared like a wall and a door. And uh, one of the things she was most proud of in her life was that she had learned that she uh, should not laugh out loud. She should cover her mouth when she laughs. Well, you can imagine how well we got on together. <laughs> she wasn't quite sure about my, uh, my spirited ways of uh, teaching those seventh and eighth graders. And uh, she had some concerns. I didn't get fired, but it was time to go anyway, so... Sounds a little bit like, I don't know, the Von Trapp family or something. Yes. I sort of feel like you're, you know, a Mother problem Superior to be was solved. Not yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. She wasn't. So, yeah, that, that's how that went anyway. But as far as the gospel and social justice, it sounds like at the school that you taught at, those two things could be named together. Absolutely. And there, there was such a, I, I remember this distinctly that there was always, whenever anybody had a new idea or suggestion of something they wanted to do, there was always the question, well, is this good for the community? Um, you know, and there was this understanding that you were watching out for everybody. And was this going to be something that was going to really sort of, you know, benefit everybody there, which... I'm not sure we always think about it that way, and that was a nice thing. And I'm not sure everybody did all the time, but at least the question was asked. Right. Yeah. At least it was acknowledged as an important consideration. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's lovely. So yeah. what made you walk through the doors of this place the first time? Oh, isn't that a good question? Um, well, the first time I walked through the doors was for a funeral, hmm. And I'd walk through the doors here for concerts several times. So I guess the answer is acoustics for that. That's that part all right. Of it, we'll right? take it. Yeah, very Ooh, good acoustics. Um, and and strangely, I lived very like a block and a half from the church and didn't come here. Um, and I think it was really I really was looking for a place that I knew had a commitment to social justice programs and things as I get older that I think, well, when I'm done teaching, what am I going to fill that need with? Where am I going to find those people? Oh, do and we have ideas for I you? know you do. <laughs> yes. And I worked with a few people who, the, the only people I think, honestly, that I worked with in the public school system who ever talked about what they were doing at their church were people that came from this place. Oh. Um, maybe a couple others, but that this was sort of the centerpiece. So mm -hmm. that's what kind of brought me. And I have to say, when you when you walk in here the first time coming to a service, there is so much going on that you both could either get sort of embraced by people and like immediately welcomed or you could just kind of wander around and see all of the stuff and I still remember thinking why are why is there bread on that like why are there baked goods on that table and why are there you know whatever else was happening that day it was just kind of I don't know if the boy scouts scouts were there selling things and it was like coming into the farmer's market or something it can feel like that something <laughs> and it was and it was it was marvelous in that way that there was all of this going on Good. So. well my hope 
hope is that for the people who want to sort of walk around and take it in, uh, that they feel safe yes. to do that, and that the people who want to jump in and find out everything and and uh, meet a lot of people can also do that, because I think it takes a, a fair amount of courage to walk in the first time. Yes, yes, it really you know it does. Anytime you go to even if I'm traveling or something, and if you just stop someplace and go to church, among other things, you're worried about whose spot you've taken in the pew. Oh, right? you know, that can happen. <laughs> I went to a friend's church. Uh, and it was smaller, and I did sit in somebody's pew, and he actually stood in the aisle and glared at me until I looked up and said, am I sitting in your spot? Because, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. Turns out I was. So I moved over, and he was happy. But I thought to myself, these things really do happen. Yeah. So you, nobody glared at you? No, I don't think so. Good. Good. And so you got involved working with the thrift store. I did, because thrift stores are a little piece of heaven for me. Um, and I was really excited that we were having one here. Do you want to um, talk about that thrift store? I don't think we've talked oh. about that too very much, have we? I don't think so. So Thrift on Fifth, I feel like I'm doing a public service. Please do. Um, Thrift on Fifth started, what, about a year and a half ago, I think? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Um, And raises around $1,000 every single month that goes for scholarships for the kids that are going to thrive, our child care center, which is wonderful, and has quality, unbelievable women's, men's, kids' clothing for a dollar for adult items and 50 cents for kids, staffed by this wonderful group of volunteers. Um, And the amazing thing to me is everybody on the planet is welcome and comes and shops in that store. I mean, we have people that could afford to buy things brand new, um, right off the racks, who come and look for bargains and enjoy the hunt. Um, We have people that have no shoes, literally have no shoes and need to come and and pick up shoes. So some of the folks that come for Saturday noon meals will stop in. We have a free shelf with some items that we just don't have space for and that gets well used and well loved. We have large families who come and, you know, and it's funny after a year and a half, they came and bought all this stuff in whatever sizes a year ago and now they need to come and get the next size up and they fill bags with things and it really is, it's an amazing, it's a lovely place to shop, but it also is doing great work, and it's a, just a great sense of community with the people that work there, too. It is quite a quite a wonderful tribe. It is. Yeah. Yes. And when you consider $1,000 a month at a dollar per item, yes. or 50 cents <laughs> per item, that's a lot of good things that it, are going out the door and... And then children who are blessed by having scholarships. Absolutely. And we, you know, and sometimes it's also, it has nothing to do with what we sell. We will get bags and bags that are donated that clearly is somebody that has passed away and their loved one has dropped everything off. Um, And we sort through it and decide what can be sold and what should be donated someplace else and where it should go. And that that's heart-wrenching and also feels like such a good thing to be able to do for somebody to take care of that too. And that happens fairly regularly. And don't, so. it, it's got to feel almost sacramental. It does. To be honoring someone's earthly adornment, Absolutely. basically. 
and treat it with respect and honor and and be sure that it goes where it needs to go. Yeah, and we also get to have a moment to sort of like kind of understand the person a little bit. Like this is someone that liked comfortable clothing, right? Yes. I mean, everything is 100% cotton or this is somebody that pressed their blue jeans, you know? Uh-huh. And so you learn a little bit about the people too, which is sweet. Uh-huh. I'll look at my closet differently. Uh, yes, yes, because if you don't, we will. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure all my stuff comes to Thrift on Fifth. That'd be good. That'd be very good. Well, so back to your your teaching yes. and your being and uh, your work here at the church. What are you hoping for the Social Justice Summit team? What are you hoping for this church? If you could say where we'll be in five years, what are we doing for the city of Rochester and beyond? You know, I think my biggest hope is just that we are able to always stay open to whatever whatever the need is, whatever it is that, that people really need. And I think that's the nice thing about the summit is that there isn't really a sense of like, okay, what's next? And we need to like make an agenda and come up with the next things. It's more, what are we already doing? Mm-hmm. And then when needs come up, where is it that we can fill in with that? I mean, I think Thrive is a perfect example of that with really the church recognizing the need for affordable childcare and what do we need to do with that? And where else is it in the community you know, where are the people getting left behind as this city grows and we worry about parking spaces and all kinds of things that have kind of nothing to do with it? So I don't really, I don't feel like we need to set some sort of agenda for the future. I think we need to be open to be able to respond to what the needs are that are there. Um, and I don't think we in this community or in the country really have any idea what's in store in the future and what we need to do. You know, last in the 2018 election, there were some people in the church that did, that I helped with a little bit with some of the voter education and some of that kind of thing. So maybe that's a focus area. Um, You know, I know that with the, as the city's starting to look at renewable energy and all those sorts of things and to have a group of people that are willing to step up and really speak out for those kinds of things is what feels really important to me. I was reading, I think it was in the paper this morning, uh, about the fact that they're looking at cutting food stamp assistance yes. or uh, aid for people. I know, which seems like incomprehensible to me. Uh, and the people most affected will be the youngest and the oldest in our culture, is what the article said. Uh, and so that would be an example. Who knows, as you say, what, what are the things that are going to be... Uh, that the church is going to need to come alongside this Yeah, you community. know, at, our, at the summit, everybody went around and kind of just shared what they'd been working on. And one of the things that came up was the uh, adult mission program, yes. which doesn't really have a focus right now. Right. That it's sort of an uncertain future. And I walked away feeling like that's okay. Because if you don't really, if you're not completely tied to something and well, this is the way we've always done it, right. then you're able to respond to things, right? So right. if something like the food stamp crisis makes it so that going and working in a food pantry someplace or going and helping with that kind of thing, then you're able to respond to the need when it comes up. Absolutely. Yeah. We used to go to Guatemala uh, every year on a medical mission, and um, I think that that's what Kathy's referring to, Catherine, is referring to. Does anybody ever call you Kathy? Uh 
not that that just came out of my mouth. I'm sorry for. <laughs> Except I always say the the, <laughs> the maintenance guys at, at the school can call me whatever they want yeah, because yeah, yeah. I am not going to question them That's on like anything. That's like people calling so. me Liz or oh. Beth. It's just like, don't do that. So I'm sorry. Pardon me. Anyway, it's just a broadcast. It's okay. Yeah, no big deal. But anyway, we had a medical mission to uh, Guatemala, and that time came to an end. And so, as you say, we're in the middle of trying to discern what's next, and it could be. Uh, where where are we needed, uh, and what resources can we have available to us because we aren't doing Guatemala any longer? So, yeah, it's I'm afraid that there will be many many ways that this church will want to respond, particularly if things like the cut in food stamps happens, uh, and certainly affordable housing is an issue here in Rochester as well. Yeah, absolutely. I teased a little bit about just building some high-rises on our parking lot, but, you know, um, maybe that's a little over over my head as far as scale goes. But but maybe the pizza oven will get us going. And yes. That would be a good thing, too. Absolutely. And, and maybe part of it is just figuring out how to connect people with the dwindling resources that are out there for things, too. You know, I can't, I think navigating day-to-day -day when when you have all the resources is difficult enough. I just right. can't even imagine what it's like if you've counted on food stamps and then they're gone, right. or you've counted on a free clinic and it goes away, or any one of a number of things. I just, I don't know how people work through it. I really don't. I don't either, without supports and, and with all the things that need tending. Yeah. Yeah. When I moved to Minneapolis, um, following my divorce, I had two uh, not very happy with me teenagers, and uh, starting a new life and in Minneapolis and way over my head in just about every aspect of life there could be, and finally had some good time out with the kids at Minnehaha uh, Falls and came back and my car had been broken into and my purse was gone and you know all those sorts of things. And I'm a woman of, with, with all kinds of access to all kinds of things. It almost broke me that I had to go to the DMV again and get my driver's license, that I had to, you know, just all the things. And, and I sit in a pretty, pretty supported place. So, yeah, the compassion. Yeah, and I think everybody, well, I can't say everybody, but the, people are living a little bit on the edge just emotionally and you know it's a it's a time when nerves are frayed and tensions between people and so that kind of thing it doesn't take much to sort of put people over the edge towards anger or despair or whatever else it is that they're just they're they're teetering you yeah, know exactly. and that's what I worry about with with teenagers is I feel like with everything else that they're going through just being teenagers and breaks my heart to think that they're worried about whether or not the climate is falling apart or, you know, whatever it is, else it is that they're, they're worried about gun violence, whatever it is, that it right. just feels like they're always on edge. And what would you want the church to communicate to a population of people that are feeling that anxiety and that, that sort of deep, deep fear? Well, the sense of community has to be the thing that pulls people together, right? I mean, even if it's community of people that you disagree with on things, that there's a safe place where you can 
talk to each other and talk through the things and get information and, you know, find your way with it. And I think that's what the church, all the churches really have to do is have places for that to happen, to have those dialogues about things. It's one of the things that I think Christ United Methodist does a really good job of is having lots of opportunities for listening and talking about different topics. If, you know, if, if it fits in with people's schedules and whatever else to do, um, it's a good place for that kind of thing to come up, uh, to provide space for that with the different information pieces. Yeah, I don't know, you know, of course I'm so immersed in church that it's hard for me to imagine <laughs> not being immersed in church, but I don't know uh, where people find support or breath if there's not a, a community, even if it's a community of people who make music together or a community of people who go out to eat together or some place where you're known beyond, beyond your workplace. Uh, and it used to be uh, that the church was that second place. It's not so much anymore. It could be lots of other things too, but I think you know, beyond your workplace and your home. I guess the church was the third place. Uh, and certainly it is for me because that's what I do. But I, I hope for people that there is a place to engage around really challenging issues uh, to feel perhaps a little less uh, alone, a little less powerless. That doesn't ever work for me to feel powerless. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah, perhaps you know that feeling. Well, <laughs> well, and to get out of people's personal silos too, you know, people are so, uh, especially with social media, and I hope that, I hope they're not, you know, some of the particularly angry people and the people that just their automatic response is so negative and so closed off on everything. And sometimes I hope that's just their social media persona, and in real life they're actually not quite that way. But, um, you know, I, I noticed even the thing about the, city trying to go to 100% renewable. Mm -hmm. um, and there was an article in the Post Bulletin that was posted on Facebook, and the number of people that immediately just went negative with it. Mm -hmm. You know, just like the very first impulse was just to just to lambast it and taxes and whatever else. And I think in the article they'd said, you know, it was maybe going to cost $1.50 okay. a month per utility owner or something and instead of somebody saying well you know that worries me a little bit or something just like exploding about it and sometimes when I'm being optimistic I think they just needed to vent and they're going to be fine right. <laughs> and then other times I think they're just mad about everything and nothing's okay mm -hmm. and they don't want to find the solutions to anything so the sense that something's being taken from them or yes yeah yeah, yeah. And if you let one thing go, then what's going to be next? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I like your mature way of looking at it. Sometimes oh, well, I just you. want to throw my hands up. <laughs> Oliver, you encounter, as our communications guy, all kinds of... Uh, what are you seeing as far as public discourse around challenging things? Well, I think the Internet is a great place to hide behind a keyboard. Um, I don't know if I've ever met someone who's as angry in real life as they are on the internet. Good. <laughs> so, well, see, now, that's good. there's okay. our hope. That's tough, because I, I noticed the same thing with, with, with Facebook, and, and uh, uh, as the church, when around the general conference time, yes. um, 
and our, our church took a position. Uh, we support LGBTQ, we're reconciling church, the like, and we, we made a statement of that. Um, and our, we don't really have too many people on our Facebook that, that are, are just, have dissenting opinions about that. Our church is very open with that. If you walk in, you'll see rainbows everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, uh, no unicorns. No unicorns. No. Yet. Yet. Yes. <laughs> but. <laughs> but but that's just the thing. Like as soon as it goes on Facebook, someone's like, "I got a bone to pick with whatever this thing is." Yeah. Um, Historian, which of course you are, because you're getting now your master's degree. I am getting a master's in history. Yes, uh-huh, that's true. So much for your. I'm not gonna go on with this. I know. Thirty yeah, years later, true. that's all yeah. right. Nobody's gonna hold you to the earlier. But um, so the history of our nation is concerned citizens speaking up, correct? That is true. So what do you think has happened around, you know, this is a whole nother, we could spend another hour on this. This whole separation of church and state was designed to create safe space for people of faith, was it not? It was. And when that line gets blurred and uh, Christianity becomes the de facto sort of assumed faith of a nation and the power dynamics become so intertwined that they that to seek to separate them is somehow blasphemous what happens to nations when that happens oh history historian Mm. boy that's a deep one I don't want to evade the question. I'm not sure I have an answer for it. I think it's interesting when we look at separation of church and state is that the for most people, not necessarily the, you know, the bigwigs who who wrote it, but I think for most people it's a safe construct when most of the people are Christian. Right? So it's easy to, it's easy to say that. Yes. And then to go ahead and have prayer in schools and right. Christmas have, programs. Yeah, Christmas programs and all of those kinds of things. Um, and then when when everybody when there's so many people that are not Christian. Right. And really I think most of and I some historian could tell me I'm completely wrong on this, but I think most of the challenges to the things, you know, prayer in schools and uh, public displays of religion and things have not been from somebody of a different faith. They've been of, from people of no faith, right? They've been, right. it's been more people that are non-believers who are questioning why they have to have any of that. Right. Um, it is so difficult. Now the, now the psychology comes in and I think Oliver sort of alluded to this, maybe a little better. One of you did that people feel like something's being taken away from them mm-hmm. when you, acknowledge other people you know I mean so the idea that that maybe Christmas programs in schools should not be all religious hymns that are being sung and you find different music and then somebody says oh well something's been taken away from me and and that's like a fight kind of mechanism that comes in right oh you're taking something away from me how dare you and then people get angry i mean i'll I'll really go out on a limb with this one i think that's a lot of what we're seeing in politics right now is i think i think white men felt like the 
presidency was taken away from them, and mm. now they're angry about it, mm-hmm. and they're having to get it back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it's that challenge to sort of, I know, okay, so I'll say this too. I think there's an awful lot of people that, that claim that they're upset about things because of their religion being challenged in some way. I don't know that they're necessarily really people of faith anyway. Like, I think they like to say that they are, but if you look at the statistics of the number of people that actually attend church on a regular basis, but then are, you know, claiming, and not that you have to be there, but I don't know how you just sort of claim that that's the center of your life and then not do anything about it. Right. Except be mad at people that aren't your flavor of Christianity. And I don't, I don't hear Jesus uh, saying that uh, people are either in or out, and and if they're, uh, if uh, he wouldn't have even conceived of Christianity, he was a right. good Jew, right? Right. So, so you think about about his message over and over about those who have been marginalized, pushed to the edges, uh, the poor uh, women. Uh, lepers, outcasts, whatever, those especially are the people that he calls to come. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man who was a tax collector who people hated, uh, especially he wanted to go to his house to have dinner. So this whole sort of sense of the diversity and complexity of humanity, I think, delighted him. And we are called as followers of his way to also be courageous enough to have curiosity about the differences uh, in the people that we meet. It just, anyway, that's what I think. Yeah, Not always comfortable, but... uh, And not always easy. I mean, it's not... uh, The history class I'm taking right now for my master's program is on... Well, I'm taking two, and one is on um, the history of slavery and the other one is Oof. on culture in the civil war. Oof. And the, so both of them were sort of almost done with the courses and it's kind of post civil war where we are right now, end of slavery in the United States. And then end of civil war. And you think, what was anybody thinking? Like, you're not going to have 300 years of slavery and then on Wednesday you're done with it well, and, and also, just move on. The social constructs to perpetuate Jim Crow, as far as who got social security you know, later down the right. line, it wasn't domestic workers and it wasn't farm workers and the, the GI Bill and just all those sorts of things. It's great if you can get into a college, but as a person of color, people weren't allowed. I, yes, it wasn't going to just be done. And right. it's still not done. And there is a sense, I, I see this with teenagers especially, that there's a little bit, even I think kind-hearted teenagers sometimes have sort of this like, well, we should just get over it. You know, we should just like, like everything should be fine. And then I always make the mistake of saying, well, in my lifetime, and they roll their eyes, because of course, my lifetime is a long, long time. But yeah, you know, I say in my lifetime, you could be thrown in prison for marrying somebody of a different color, right? Until Loving versus Virginia's Supreme Court case. And, and then it's like, it, it doesn't, it's not an overnight thing. It takes work, right. all of this. Right. And it takes discomfort from people. And it's just. And yeah. acknowledging the harm that's been done. And I see that, that resistance to being willing to do that too. Yeah. Uh, and that's also hard. 
it's not comfortable to do that either, to say, well, I've, I've uh, lived privilege because of the color of my skin, and I, I want to be willing to, to learn. Right. And we're really good at throwing up defense mechanisms to sort of, you know, especially if you're feeling any guilt about it or if you're feeling any shame about it or, you know, collective consciousness about it or something. Like we're really good at being able to sort of throw up those mechanisms to sort of protect ourselves too from not letting us affect us too. It feels better to punch. It does. Than to sit and be present. Or to blame somebody else for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a learning lab, this joint. Uh, we have, uh, are you working with a race team at all too? Because we have a team of people that are looking at the dynamics of race. Um, no, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I've not. As the maven. Uh, not engaged. Be. Yes. 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 Under your umbrella. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, it's, you know, so again, ongoing, ongoing learning, grounded in the gospel. Seems well, and I think, me. I mean, for me, and I think for lots of people, it's it's sometimes just draining. Like, how much can you take on? How many different issues? And I think a lot of people, maybe it's too much, so then you just don't feel like you can do anything. So how do you regroup when you feel peeled back more than you feel might be sustainable? Because it seems to me you've got a heart that feels I think the best thing I always do is try to actually do something instead of just thinking about it and pondering, you know? And so it's, I mean, (laughs) like literally three hours in the thrift store on a Wednesday night sort of clears my head because it's like I'm actually doing something and engaging in good conversations with people and knowing that, I, you know, I'm not going to be confrontational with it like it's like-minded people and just kind of surround Mm -hmm. myself with them coming to church is good Mm -hmm. for that same thing Mm -hmm. um reading you know having my stack of books about global slavery and then my romance novels that are just ridiculous next to them and just to sort of get away from it little brain candy yes exactly yeah because it's too hard otherwise but i music Yes, and good yes. music. But I can I can see why some people, if you feel like you can't do anything, then if you can't fix anything, then maybe why do anything at all, mm-hmm. right? Environmental mm-hmm. mental issues where people are like, oh, it's out of my control, so what's the point? It's all about the straws. It's all about the straws. That's right. That's plastic right. forks. Yes, no, no plastic forks. No plastic forks. We don't allow them here at the church. They're gone. Did you know that? No, are they? No more plastic forks. How exciting is that? That's pretty good, I think. Now we just have to have one giant communal bag of popcorn that we pass around. Did, but those were <laughs> those were biodegradable bowls. Did I, you see that? I did. Yes, Cooper yes. bought them, so they were good. She's referring to the popcorn I brought from Cooper's daughter's wedding because we were in charge of the popcorn details. So I knew that Carol's corn was exactly the right kind of popcorn to bring, and darned if it wasn't. We were the most popular kids at the party. And then we had leftovers because if some is good, more is better. Yes. And so I bought more than I should have. So we brought it for the next day. Anyway, thank you. This has been fun. Isn't it surprisingly delightful? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Oliver, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. And about those unicorns. About the unicorns. When do they when do they uh, enter the scene? Well, I mean, we have that creation care party before Easter every year. 
We could uh, we could feature unicorns. Oh, yeah, oh, we'd be the most. Ooh, how many churches can say that? I ask you. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of stuff that's going on at the church, I have to do my plug uh, for CUMC activities. Since you've made it this far in the podcast, thanks for listening. Um, this weekend we have the all church camp out. Um, if you're going on that, I'm sure you already know what's going on. But uh, for those of you who don't know, we're taking a bunch of folks from our church up to Afton State Park and gonna have a grand old time. Are both of you guys going? I'm going for part of Saturday. Excellent. I'm there for the duration. <laughs> and you know what? That's all I can think of right off the top of my head. But Except Foster Fest. Oh gosh, I, oh. I can't believe I forgot my own darn festival. <laughs> <laughs> That's what friends are for, Oliver. Yeah, thank you. Um, so on August 17th, uh, all day at Foster Aaron's Park, um, for a, a whole day full of music and fun and vendors and general awesomeness. Um, I learned on the news that Foster Errand Beach is also non-toxic, uh, officially, so... That's in the good take a news department. Also, yeah, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, come on down. We're raising money for the Dorothy Day House here in Rochester. And, Did you um, know the Dorothy Day House started through this church? Really? Truth. Whoa. There you have it. Whoa. <laughs> Even better. So, come on down, everybody. It's going to be great. So thank you so much for listening. This is the Arise Podcast. Uh, come on down to our Sunday worship. That's 9 a.m. every Sunday. We've got three totally different flavors of worship. Uh, and we can't wait to see you. Bye, Bye now. Bye. Listening to the Arise Podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or want to be featured on our podcast, Send me a message directly at oliver at cumethodist.com. You can find our archived episodes online at podbean.com, iTunes, or right on our website at cumethodist.com backslash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks.